So we are moving through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're in chapter 2 today, and we're going to go through uh, the first 12 verses in chapter 2. And it's kind of one of these interesting stories. Um, Jesus is in a house, and it's pretty packed, and (laughs) there's people all over the place. And then this really odd thing happens. And we're going to read the story because, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the the characters in the story because each character, there's something different going on with each of them. They're interacting with each other, but there's different lessons or different things that we can learn from each one. So I want to encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a chair Bible in the seat in front of you. And whether you're at the, uh, the uh, Kennedy campus or the Rochette campus or listening online, uh, we'll be in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 1, and we'll follow along through the first 12 verses. And let's, let's read this story, and let's, let's hear what God wants to say to us this weekend, right? Mark 2, 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by the four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. Now, this is one of those stories that's quite amazing. So what we want to do is, as I said, look at the different people that were gathered that day. First, we want to look at the crowd. It says that the crowd was so big in this house that it people couldn't get in. You couldn't get in, you couldn't get out. And the crowd was really divided. It was, uh, and you have your notes. And the first point I want you to see is the crowd showed interest and doubt. They were divided. Um, Jesus is preaching the word. Remember, we looked at that last weekend. He says, I must go over here to preach the gospel. I haven't done that yet. So he, his main point isn't to cast out demons, though he's doing, doing that. It isn't to heal people, though he's doing that. It isn't even to heal this paralyzed man, though he did that. That wasn't his main task. His main task was to preach the word, preach the word. And so he's preaching the word in a home, and it's pretty obvious that they're violating the fire code there in this house. 
because no one's going to be able to get out if something goes wrong. And interestingly enough, uh, it, it, it just must have been an electric and, a, and an amazing thing. So he's preaching the word, and the two groups are, are very different. One is very interested and curious, and that's the, the, the vast majority of the people that are there. The vast majority of the people knew Jesus. They had heard of his miracles. They had seen many of the things he did, and they just wanted to see the show. They wanted to experience the miracles. They wanted to say, I was there when he did that. I saw that, you know, because it's one of those things where it just was happening. It was a, it was one of those cultural moments that was going on and they just wanted to be part of it. This, they were very fickle too, by the way. You'll see that they, these folks will turn on a dime. One minute they're praising him. The next minute they're wanting to crucify him, but that's a whole nother thing. The second group though is composed of these teachers of the law. Now, what's interesting here is they're looking for, they've heard about this Jesus, and they're, he's becoming a threat. He's not only teaching things that they don't agree with, but he's doing things. He's backing up his teaching, and people are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. Uh, we're going to see a paralyzed man who's going to be, you know, healed. You know, so we have all these things going on, and they're like, there's something wrong with this guy and because he doesn't do it our way. So they want to check into this, this unorthodox rabbi or teacher of the law, Jesus. And they have their doubts and they're, they're, even, they're, they're really looking for a reason to discredit him. That's essentially what they're looking to. They're trying to find a way to discredit him. And they did this very often in Jesus' public ministry. But he asks this question, which is very interesting. And we'll get to it in a minute. He says, he understands that there's doubters in the group, in the room. And so he speaks directly to them because he understood their hearts. And he probably understood and saw their dress and knew they were there. Probably knew what they were thinking. And he said, you know, what's easier for me to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to heal him? Now, that's an interesting question. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. But that, that's the crowd that you find himself, you know, that he, Jesus finds himself. He's in this, this packed house. He's preaching the word. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, things happen. The second man, the second group we want to look at is this man who shows real faith. He demonstrates real faith. Now, here's what I expected the passage to say. So they lower him down. They tear through the roof. They lower him down. We'll talk more about that in a minute. They lower him down in the presence of Jesus. And the first thing I expected Jesus to say was when Jesus saw his faith. Right? But it doesn't say that. What, it say, what does it say? When Jesus saw their faith. When he saw their faith. So he, he's, Jesus is not just talking about the man and his faith. He's talking about his friends. He had four friends. So he's talking about all of their faith. Which was really interesting to me because here's what, here's what I've often thought about, and I see this very often, and maybe you do too. We often think of faith as a very personal and private thing, don't we? Uh, we don't talk about it much. It's kind of one of this, this, it's kind of this invisible thing that's kind of, kind of going around us or whatever. And, and we just have faith, right? And we say, well, I have faith, right? And it's hard for us to really explain what that looks like. So we often think that our faith is personal or it's private. But as I look at it here, faith was not a personal and private thing. It was a very public thing. It was a very community thing. Uh, it was not just his faith. It was their faith. 
Now that's very interesting because we don't often take, talk about faith that way, don't, don't we? we? We rarely talk about faith being a, a community thing. We, we often think of it as it's personal and private. But this was not that. This was a community thing. Secondly, we often think of faith as being hidden between me and God. This is a private thing. This is a hidden thing. This is between me and it's between God. But that's not the way it is. In fact, you, you, the question is how did Jesus see their faith? Very clearly by their actions, right? They're ripping the roof off the house for crying out loud. They're taking a risk. I mean, I don't know whose house it was. Some say it was Peter's house. We don't, we don't really know whose house it was. But, but Jesus saw their faith. Their faith was on demonstration. It was being demonstrated. It was active. It was visible. You could see it. And we, so, so, again, let's review. We often think faith is a private and, and hidden thing. But here, it's, it's not a private thing. It's a community thing. It's not a hidden thing. It's a public thing. And even James says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So this, this kind of throws our ideas sometimes of what faith is kind of on its, on its head. And, and you go, well, what is faith then? The text says that they, they started to tear the roof off. His friends, literally the Greek says they unroofed the roof. That's literally what it says in the Greek. They unroofed the roof. Now the roof that in those days wasn't like shingles and plywood and nails and you know it wasn't that way but uh, they would generally have a terrace and they could probably climb up the stairs and get on the roof at night they would sleep there or it would be a cool place for the you know catch a breeze and you could walk on it but it would have planks and it would probably have uh, other coverings you could dig through it you could pull it apart uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, like we ha- like we think of our roofs. But can you imagine you're in the midst of this, in this house with Jesus, and you're standing there, and all of a sudden something falls on your shoulder, and then something else falls, and then a couple other things fall, and you hear this scraping above you, and you, all of a sudden you, you, you start to look up, and you see kind of this little bit of light. You know, you hear this noise, but then you see this little bit of light, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden you see these heads poke, you know, look over, looking down, right? And then all of a sudden, it's this whole, there's this big hole. So I'm at this point, if this happened, I mean, imagine it happened here, something like that. Most of us would probably... Right? Get out of the way. But essentially what you do, that would stop the service. We call it time out because I got to see this. What's going on here? You know, I mean, this is something, right? This is, I think that's something. And so the roof's being torn apart. They look down and, and all of a sudden that's not it. So you think, well, you might think, oh, they just wanted to hear Jesus. But no, they want to do more than that. They take Jesus and they lower him down. He's got a mat. They probably tied rope to corners of it and lowered it down. And this guy is laying at right where Jesus is, right at his feet. He's paralyzed. Can you imagine that? Here's the point. Their, their faith wasn't private and it wasn't hidden. Their faith had legs and it had arms um, and, and, and it was really active. I mean, they were taking a huge risk. They were ripping some guy's house apart, right? 
That, that's a risk. And, and, and when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, this is what God intends the church to be. This is what he intends our community to be. We're not just private people coming together, doing our thing privately before God, but God wants, we call it the community of faith. The community of faith. And so there's, there's, there's this gathering together, this demonstration where we can make a difference together. You see, these five, these four guys did something for this man that he could not do for himself. That's why we think life groups is so important because sometimes you just need some friends around you that can help you when you need help, when you can't help yourself. And that's why we think it's so important for you to get connected into a life group. But this guy had this. So, so the idea here is there's a community of faith. There's, it's not just a private, personal thing, but there's a community thing, and it's active, and it's doing things. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to be doing this partnership with St. Mark uh, Achievement, or uh, St. Mark Center. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing this because we believe that it's important for our church to have an impact on our community. And, and the impact will be, why is this church doing this? Because of our faith. Our faith drives us to act, to love our community, to serve our community. And you're going to be hearing about uh, a need that's going to come up in the next month or so. We're going to start talking about the first initiative that we're going to do. And we're going to need all hands on deck to carry that. And I know we're going to knock it out of the park. I know we are. Uh, St. Mark's doesn't know what they got. They don't know what they got yet. They're going to find out, though. This year, they're going to find out what they got. They got Hope Church. And when they got Hope Church, Hope Church is going to make a difference at St. Mark's this year. We're going to give them a boost this year. But that's the community of faith. That's how God intended our faith. Because faith is not a personal sport. It's a team sport. We do this together. And I know that goes in, in the face of our culture because our culture is, uh, you, know, you know, I did it my way, right? Isn't that the, the mantra of our society? Did it my way. And I don't need any help. I could do it myself. And I think sometimes God looks at us and says, it's like us when we look at our, our kids when they're little and they're struggling. And you know they're never going to be able to do what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying to tie their shoe or wash their hair or something like that. And they're struggling with it. You go, do you need some help? No, I can do it. You go, you're thinking, kid, you're not going to be able to do this. They finally give up and you finally help them out, Right? And that's the way it is. And, you know, we get older and we get more along those lines, more stubborn. I don't need any help. I can do it myself. This life was never meant to walk alone. You were never meant to walk alone in this life. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But this man had friends. What, what we have illustrated here are real friendships. Uh, we all need friends like this, don't we? Don't we have, need to have friends like this that, that just are with us and they say, I got your back, I'm with you if you need anything. I mean, when something's going on in your life, they call you, say, what, 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 do, what do I need to do? What do you need right now? How can I help you right now? What can I do? Sometimes they don't even have to ask because they know you so well, they just start helping. This man had friends around him who were willing to pick him up, carry him, climb up on the roof, claw through the roof, and get him to Jesus. 
They were creative, they were driven, and they were relentless. They didn't care if they got caught. They didn't care what they thought about tearing the roof off. They'll, they probably thought, we'll fix the roof. It'll be better than when we got done. But we're going to get our friend to Jesus. They were faith accomplices. They joined their faith together and multiplied their faith efforts for this man. And that's why Jesus says to them, when he saw their faith, which is real interesting. That's one of the goals. We want to get you in a group where you can find some friends that you can do life with. Because we all need friends when life gets hard. You know, we live in a, a, a culture and a society today where we're more... Uh, d- uh, the family now is, is just all over the place. It used to be, it was centralized, but now, I mean, none of my kids live, live in, in this community. And the closest are an hour and a half away. Most of you say, my kids are on the West Coast, my kids are on the East Coast, my kids are up North, my kids are down South. Or, you know, your family, the rest of your family. It's, so you need, you need help, you need friends. And we're trying to provide opportunities to get you connected with Christians because we all need Christians. Here's, you, you don't just need friends. You need Christian friends. In other words, what I'm saying is you need a faithful friend, but you need faith-filled friends. Sometimes you need a good friend to be able to give you a good kick in the butt. Right? Because you're going down a bad road. And you need somebody that you respect, that you know they love you and they care about you, and they could say the hard thing to you and they say, Hey... Hey, wheels are coming off. Wheels are coming off. Do you have somebody in your life that can say that to you, that knows you, that you can't pull the wool over their eyes? They go, come on, it's me. This man had four friends around him. And and we all need that. We don't just need faithful friends. We need faith-filled friends. Because you can have a faithful friend that's a really good person who gives you really horrible advice. And they'll never call you on things. Faithful friends care about you. They're willing to lose the friendship if it means that they, if, that they can't be honest with you. And they love you, and you know it comes out of love. All right, well, let's talk about... <clears throat> so we talked about the crowds. We talked about the men. Let's talk about the, the paralyzed man himself. Jesus saw his real need. Jesus saw his real need. Now, I'm sure that the man and his friends and the whole, the whole crowd was taken back because Jesus says very odd. The f- first odd thing he says, that, that, as I already pointed out, he saw their faith, not his faith, but their faith. The second thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> now, I'm sitting there thinking... If I was paralyzed and I was laying there and I went through all of that, I would think, that's nice. Kind of not why I'm here. (laughs) Because I don't think he saw that was his biggest issue. The man probably saw his biggest problem was, hey, I'm paralyzed. I can't walk. I can't do anything. And Unless I had my four friends, I wouldn't be here today. So yeah, maybe I'm a sinner. Maybe I have that issue. But my biggest problem is I'm paralyzed. You know, this is, this is true. It was true in that day, and it's true today. Um, sin and sickness was kind of tied together. 
Uh, the idea was that if you were suffering or you were sick, it was probably because you sinned, you did something. So the sickness was part of sinfulness. Now, if you read the book of Job in the Old Testament, Job is spelled J-O-B, not Job, but Job. And it's a longer book, but essentially what it is, is Job loses everything. And his friends come to him and they say, Job, what did you do? You tick God off because we know that nobody suffers unless they've done something wrong. Now, that's not true. You know really good people who have done nothing wrong and they're suffering today. And that was same was true in that day. Job is an example of that. So essentially, the, the thought is, Job, you've done something to deserve this. In fact, uh, let me give you, let me give you uh, another verse. Uh, just write this down. I'll read it to you right now. This is, uh, they come across a man who's blind from birth. And the disciples ask a question to Jesus. And this is what they say. As he went along, he saw a man uh, blind from birth, and his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that this happened so that the works of God might have been displayed in him. Now, let's just call a timeout here for a minute. If you were this man, and you <laughs> must say that you were before you were born, somehow God could have a dialogue with you and say, oh, here's the deal here with your life. You're going to be blind most of your life. You're going to be blind most of your life. But there's going to be a day where I'm going to meet you and I'm going to give you your sight back. You go, okay, is there someone else you could find for that? Because I just do not do it. Because essentially that's what Jesus says. Just, he says his parents didn't sin. He didn't sin. He was born blind so that I could come today and heal him. So, so the point I want you to see in all of this is, though it was a common belief that sin and sickness was tied together, Jesus makes exceptions to that. And there are exceptions. We know there are. We know that sometimes you suffer and you are sick, and it has nothing to do with your sinfulness. Now, there are other times where you're suffering and you're sick, and it is absolutely due to your sinful behavior and stuff, right? But the man probably thought, getting back to the paralyzed man, when Jesus says, your sins are, son, your sins are forgiven. It's likely that the man saw his problem was his physical condition, that he was paralyzed. Um, we often do this today. This is, this is where maybe I'm going to get to a place where you're going to say, you know, I don't like that. I, I, I agree. Maybe you won't even agree with me. I don't know. Uh, we, we think oftentimes, that our main problem in life are our circumstances. We think, if I had a better job, if I was married to a better person, if I had better kids, you know, if I, whatever it is, if I was, had this kind of help, or if my past wasn't the way it was, if my circumstances were different, life, my life would be so much better. We, we think that. Now, to a certain extent, that may be true. But here's the, here's the real truth. The real truth is, the issue in your life is not your circumstances. The issue in your life is what you're doing with the circumstances that you have before you. How are you dealing with the circumstances that you have? That's really what it is. It's not, because let's, let's play this man out for a minute. This man, let's just say that Jesus never goes to the sin area and say, hey, you know, your biggest issue is your heart, your sin. 
your rebellion against God. That's your biggest issue. Uh, the man thought, no, my biggest issue is my physical. And Jesus says, all right. But let's just say Jesus doesn't even go there. He just says, okay, I'm going to heal you. He says, son, pick up your mat and walk. He doesn't even mention this thing. So he heals this, this man. This man's still the same man. He's still the same man. So he goes on, and he's elated. He's amazed. He's dancing. He's, you know, he's, he's you know, just having a great time. Fix, let me fix the roof before I leave, but I'm, you know, I'm so happy. And he goes on with his life. You know what he's going to be doing a year from now? He's going to forget about that healing. It's going to lose its luster because he's still the same person. He's still the same person. Though he can walk, he's still the same person. Though he can move, he's still the same person. See, the main problem in our lives is not our circumstances. It's not what's happened to you and, uh, and what people have done to you. The main problem with your life is that you're separated from God and under his wrath. The Bible's clear. It teaches that, you're, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that we, if we call upon Jesus, he will come into our life. And, and that we, apart from Jesus, are doomed. We have to understand that. We have to be clear about that. Uh, we need a Savior. We need our souls to be saved from the penalty of sin. Because we've, we're under the wrath of God. And only Jesus can take that away. That's why God sent his son to save you from your sins, to give you his righteousness, and to help you to provide for you the only way that you can make peace with God. Here's the thing. We need to understand that our biggest problem in our, is our current standing before a holy God. And, 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 and is going to, he is one day going to judge the world, and that includes you and me. And anyone who is not called on the name of the Lord is doomed. Now that may seem pretty harsh, but let's let's play this out. I've often said the biggest issue per, uh, about a person's life is not their physical condition, it's not their past, it's not their it's not their sexuality, whatever they may think they are or, or uh, hold to. The biggest issue is what is going to happen when they die. Let's say they get whatever we call figured out in their area of sexuality or in their area of they get healed physically or they, their circumstances change for the better, if they have never dealt with their sin condition before a holy God who's going to judge them one day, it really doesn't make any difference, does it? Because what the Bible says is that when we end this life, we stand before God. And one day, if we are not under the blood of Christ, if we don't have Jesus as our Savior, we're doomed. The other side of the coin is that if we call upon the name of the Lord and our sins are forgiven, even though we're paralyzed all this life, we get healed. So everything changes for eternity, too. And that's why, that's why Jesus says to this man, you, you think your biggest issue is that you're paralyzed, but your biggest issue is that you're a sinner and you're under the wrath of God and you need his forgiveness. And without that, you're dead. You're doomed for eternity. Now, Jesus shows, and this is the last point, Jesus shows that he's the healer and forgiver. And I said we pick up the question 
And uh, the question is very interesting that Jesus poses. Um, He knows the teachers of the law are doubting who he is and his power. They have questions about his teaching. And he asks them a question, which is easier to say to to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. Now, if you're one of the teachers of the law, what would you think would be the easiest thing for Jesus to do? It's very clear. You would think the easiest thing for Jesus to do is say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because how do you prove that, right? How do you prove that his sins are forgiven, right? You, you can't prove that. It, it's, you, there's no way to do it. So they're, they're sitting there thinking, and they're thinking, well, only God can forgive sin. And if he's saying that he can forgive sin, he's claiming to be God. So they get all that. But so, so, so in one sense, they're playing this all out. And they're saying, uh, it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven because we have no way to validate that. And we're absolutely not convinced that you can do that. In Jewish teaching, even the Messiah, the promised Messiah, couldn't forgive sins. Uh, That was the prerogative of God alone. So Jesus chooses in everyone in that room's mind to do the harder thing, which is what? To heal him. This is verifiable truth, right? If this man who is paralyzed, and obviously he is, because these men have gone to a a great extent to get this man here. It's not an act. It's not a gimmick. It's the real deal. He is paralyzed. And if this man gets up and walks, and there's something going on here that we can't explain, it's verifiable. Every one of us have seen it. We've, we, we've seen this miracle. And so Jesus chooses to do the harder thing, to heal the man. He, the thought is if he can heal a paralyzed man, then he might possibly be able to forgive sin. Now, here's the fatal error of the teachers of the law. They didn't recognize that Jesus was not just the Messiah, but he is the Son of God who had the authority to forgive sins. See, they didn't put that together. They thought the Messiah was this messianic figure who would be his kingly ruler, but they didn't picture that the Messiah was going to be God become flesh. They didn't get that. See, the only person who could forgive sins is the offended party. Uh, and, and that's really the point, because when they say only God can forgive, and they're right there. They're absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. Now, let's play this out. Because some of you may be here and say, well, you know, I've heard a lot, Pastor. You talk about how we're under the wrath of God and how we've, we're sinners. And yes, I get that I'm not perfect. And so I guess I'm a sinner and I'm under the wrath of God. Um, and by the way, we always give ourselves a better case scenario than everyone else that we judge. Like we, we, are, we, we curse people when they cut us off driving, but we, we cut people off and we don't think anything of it. We're in a hurry. They should wait for us. You know, we, all these other things. That's n- not at all a reflection of my driving habits, by the way. But that being said, we have this, this mentality, and you may be asking, you say, well, okay, so you sin uh, and God is a God who has to, he's a kind of a God of wrath. Don't really like that word, wrath of God. But uh, can't God just get over it? Can't he just get over it? And it's almost as though we're saying, you know, I'm a little more benevolent than God. 
really. I wouldn't hold that wrath over people. Some people I might, but I wouldn't. Okay, let's just say that as you're walking out the door, somebody bops you in the nose for no reason. They just bop you in the nose. Good. And I run over and I give you some tissue and you put it on your nose and, and you go, <laughs> you can't talk. Your, your nose is all smashed up and bleeding. And, and I walk over to the person who just bopped you in the nose and I go, don't worry, they forgive you. You go, wait a minute. I'm the one who got bopped in the nose. What are you doing forgiving the guy that bopped me in the nose? You have no say in that. You are not the offended party. So it's easy for us to say, yeah, God's just really got to get over this wrath thing. Yeah, it's easy to say when you're not the offended party. And as, as, you, as I play that scenario out there, and you go, that's ridiculous, that's silly, that's silly. Why would, why would you, Pastor Matt, get, you know, give, a, give the tissue to the person that's been hurt and say to the person that did it, You're, don't worry, they forgive you. You can't make me forgive that person. Who do you think you are? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. See, Jesus is showing the teachers of the law and everyone else that day that it is infinitely, infinitely harder to affect the forgiveness of sin than it is merely to heal a paralyzed man. So let me just take that a little further. So they thought the easy thing to do was to say, well, your sins are forgiven because there's no verifiable proof, right? That's essentially what they're saying. So they say it was much harder to heal the man. But in reality, in reality, the harder thing was for Jesus to forgive the man's sins. Why? Well, any miracle worker can say, take up your bed and walk, but only the Savior of the world can say to a human being, all of your sins are forgiven, and the reason they're forgiven is because I am going to give my life for your sins. I'm going to be the payment of your sins. I'm the offended party, but I'm not just the offended party. I'm the one who is going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give my life on the cross for you. I'm going to die in your place. So therefore, I have the right to forgive you of your sins because I'm the one that's going to pay for them. And what we see here is we see a beginning of the shadow of the cross in the life of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus for us. How he gave his life to take our sin, to take the wrath of God that we deserved. And not only to take away our sin and the wrath that came to us, but to give us his righteousness. So that when we stand before God, we stand before God with his holiness and his righteousness, not ours. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We could never repay it. It's gifted to us. So in reality, the harder thing to do was to forgive this man's sin because that would take him to the cross. The easy thing to do was to heal him. He just had to heal him. He could walk away that day and wouldn't cost him really anything. So my question to you as we look at this story of Jesus, what is the lesson that you'll take away this weekend?
Is, is it a lesson of friendship? Do you have those friends around you and do you want to get connected? We want to help you with that. Is it a lesson that where Jesus says to the man, uh, your issue isn't your circumstance. It's not that you're paralyzed. Your issue is that you're far from God, that you, are, you, you, you have the wrath of God on you and that only Jesus can set you free. Is your issue the man where Jesus says, I can heal you, but your real issue is your sin? And Jesus says, and I'm willing to go to the cross for you so that you could live forever. Where are you in in all of this with God? I mean, he knows your worst thoughts. You know your your worst. He, if you're, if you've got something hidden from the people even closest to you, and you think you're hiding it, he knows exactly what's going on in your life, and he still loves you, and he still accepts you. And the, the the Bible says that if you you bow down and you say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner, and it's like the the thief next to Jesus on the cross. He says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you get into paradise. And Jesus, today you'll be with me. And all he's doing is acknowledging. At one point, he acknowledged he was a sinner. He says, you know, we deserve to be here. We're sinners. We've broken the law. And he turns to Jesus in faith, and he says, Jesus, you're my only hope. Have you come to Jesus and understood that? I can't think of a better time as we think about those people who gave their lives so that we could have freedom. We think of Jesus who gave his life so that we could have spiritual freedom, not just now, but forever. We could be set free from the wrath of God. The Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Do you have that peace today? Don't leave without it. I'd love to share the good news with you. Um, Maybe a friend you came with, but don't leave today without knowing the peace that only God can give you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you love us and the way you care for us. Thank you for the story of the man who was paralyzed and his friends. Thank you for the way that uh, Jesus saw through the whole situation and, and the lessons that we can glean for our lives today. May the Spirit of God bring those lessons to our individual hearts, the lessons that we need to hear. Whatever is, is, is chaff, may it be blown away. Whatever is the seed of your word, may it, may it be planted deeply in our hearts so it changes us. If there's anyone here, Father, who doesn't know and doesn't understand how they can have peace with God, I pray that they would let somebody know or ask somebody. Um, and thank you, Father, that uh, you, you sent your, your only son and Jesus willingly came to gave his, give his life so that we could have peace with you. We love you, Father, but we love you because you first loved us. We give you praise and honor and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.